serve a great and mighty God. Amen. If he said it, we're going to believe it. And that's that. And that's that. Amen. God is so good. I, I spoke this word at one of our prayer times and after getting through 10 pages, I said, well, I got 10 minutes. They didn't say 10 pages. They said 10 minutes. I, I didn't even know that. I, I'm sure I went over many, many times. And I just love to speak, right? I love to speak uh, of the goodness of God because he is that good. Amen? So my thought for today is simple. Remember Lot's wife. Amen. We're still on the looking back thing. Thank you, Pastor D. Thank you. Because some of us are stuck. We, we don't even realize it. The minute we look back to a small thing, something that might have just happened yesterday, we're looking back. And so we wonder why we don't move. We wonder why things don't happen. We wonder why we pray and, and nothing happens because you're still stuck like a day before. And we're not living today, amen? So looking back, that, that's important for me because I have lots of reasons why to look back, why to be stuck, why not even to be here. I should be dead. I should be dead. And you all know my testimony. Suicide was definitely in the plan, and suicide definitely was planned out, and I did it, but I'm here. And so I said, Lord, I can't look back. All right, I experienced pain back then. I can't look back. I'm done. They're forgiven. I'm forgiving myself. I didn't do anything, but I'm forgiving myself for not forgiving myself. Yes. Amen? Yes. And I realized early in, early in my age, right, that I needed to do something more. I needed to do something more. And so I, I thank God for Remember Lot's wife. And, um, you know, I grew up in the Bronx, Grew up in the projects. And we talk about looking back. My mother, that's all she said. When you walk these streets, you look back. <laughs> look back all the time. All the time. So I said, Mom, I can't walk sideways and try to see who's behind me. She said, you look back every second, every minute you take one step forward, you're looking back. And so, although I know this is not in the same context, but you get my point. There are times when we can look back. There are times when we can say, you know what? It was like this then, but it's not like that today. So sometimes looking back can be healthy if we don't plan to stay there. Amen? And so I just wanted to clarify that there's something about living in the Bronx and looking back than from what Lot's wife did, which was in pure disobedience. Amen? So... People look back for different reasons. They look back because there was maybe they had more peace back then. Maybe they had more joy. Maybe they're trying to see what brought them joy back then so that they can bring it to their lives now. People look back for different reasons. I just want to share really quick. My brother, who was a three-pack-a-day smoker, right? Our family at the prayer time knows this little testimony. So he thought... After not smoking for months, he thought he could turn a cigarette on. He thought that he could just let the, uh, the smoke come up and put his nose to it. He didn't take a puff. He claims he didn't take a puff. I don't believe him. But he knows I don't believe him, so that's okay. 
And he thought just putting his nose to the smoke was going to be okay. Not realizing that days later that was going to be the death of him. He's texting me at 5 in the morning, come get me, I can't breathe. I said, I'll be right there. Sat with him in the hospital. He was out. Treatment after treatment, no breath, no nothing. Eyes bulging out of his face. And I was like, okay, Lord. Now, he called me. He could have called anybody else, but he called me. So, you know, we praying. And I'm praying, and the nurse was coming in, and the, uh, uh, the chaplain of the hospital came in. And she said, sister, I'm saved, but I can't shout here. I said, you don't got to shout. I just need you to pray. Don't act crazy here. If you're going to pray with me, you got to pray right, okay? Don't come acting crazy because I need a miracle right now. So I don't need people to turn away or throw us out. And she said, I got you, sis. Hallelujah. She said, she spoke very softly. And, and she touched my brother. And I said, amen, sis. She said, it's Ash Wednesday. Do you want any Ash? I'm like, no, thank you. You think your brother wants I said, put some on him. Put him some ashes. That's all right. Listen, whatever it took, right? But thank God that days later, thank you, Sam. <laughs> but thank God day, days later, my brother finally took his breath. They took him off of that breathing machine. And I'm like, okay, dude, you okay now? You feel better? I do, sis. I feel so me. I got to be me. I said, was it worth it? Where did you think that smoke was going to go if not back to your lungs? And you're, you're a mess. Now, come on. You got to make smarter decisions. I know, sis. Can you pray for me? No. You, you got to pray now. Dude, I've been praying here for three days. Come on. But, of course, I prayed with him. Looking back, right? Looking back almost cost him his life. And we already know that there is great danger when we willingly choose to look back at what was. But not only do we look back, we linger and we stay there, not realizing that we are in a place where Satan wants us to be. So let's not be fooled. Let's not forget that he is always lurking around. He is always by our side. He is always looking to see when we're going to put a little doubt in, move to the left when God said move to the right. He's always waiting. He does not sleep. Amen. So we're exactly where Satan wants us to be because then we become vulnerable and open to anything. Amen? So now begins my message. I feel like a real preacher now. <laughs> After they talk 15, 20 minutes, he's almost on my message. I'm like, what? I thought you was preaching already. <laughs> I'm not talking about my pastor, no. <laughs> I'm really not. <laughs> So, okay, so let's look at who was Lot's wife. I tried to find a pretty picture. I tried to find a picture. There was none. This was the only picture they had of Lot's wife. Everyone, take a good look. Who wants to be remembered like that? None of us. We'd be crazy, but none of us want to be remembered like that. Some say she's not standing like that anymore. It's already, the rubble has fell down. She's gone in the wind. I don't know, but that's what I found. And I put it up. It says author unknown. But this is a remembrance. This is how this woman is remembered for life throughout the word, which she's only mentioned maybe two times, two or three times. 
This is her legacy. This is what people know her for. One disobedient woman who was just tied to her past. So we're going to look at, what, uh, at Lot's wife for a few. But she left such an example. I said, Lord, you know, I, I want to check out what happened in chapter 18. But, but before we get there, she was also a woman who was unknown and referred to only as Lot's wife. Amen? I used to be Daryl's wife. When we first got married, everybody said, Daryl's wife, Daryl's wife. I said, my name is Diana. Let's, let's, let's be real. My name is Diana. No, you're Daryl's wife. I said, I'm Diana. Don't mean, yes, I'm Daryl's wife. Let's just, let's just be clear, right? So that's me. That's what I do. But I'm so glad I have a name. Aren't we glad we have a name? We have a name. Our parents named us. We're proud of our name. We love our names. I love my name. I'm not hey you, right? People say hey you to me in the Bronx. I'm not looking. We, we, we just not looking. That's not going to happen. You know, but they say, oh, are you Daryl's wife? I'm like, were you the hey you calling me? Hey you? But anyway, anyway, everyone say Lot's wife. That was, that was her legacy. That's all she will be known for, including being nameless. Amen? So I have many, many papers here. Jack, I think I beat you today with, with papers. I'm going to have an iPad next time. You'll see. I'm going to have an iPad. Anyway, we want to look to chapter 18, verses 16 to 33. I'm not going to speak on all of it. But Abraham, Abraham, we find that Abraham was, uh, Abraham was in a place where he saw some angels come to him, right? There were men. There were three men. We call them, we're going to call them angels. And they came to him. And they said, and I'm so sorry, let me get right here. Actually, that's the beginning of of chapter 18, but I want to go to uh, verse 16. It said, then the men got up from their meal. Actually, they came. Abraham fed them. He hosted them. And then after all of that, he brought a promise to them. He said, by this time next year, you will have a son. And, And why am I starting with that? Because even before they let them know that there was destruction that was coming, he, he blessed the house. Now, we, we know how Sarah felt, and, and if we all know, Abraham was 100, I believe, and Sarah 90. So when they heard they were having another child, that would, they were in disbelief. But I believe God blessed their home before they let them know that destruction was coming. And I find it interesting also that in Luke 17, 32, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about a coming of great destruction. But Jesus thought it was important enough to mention what happened to Lot's wife and and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So verse 32 of Luke 17 says, remember Lot's wife. And then he said, verse 33, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. And so he was talking clearly Although he was in the New Testament, he thought it enough to mention um, 
Lot's wife. So once we look at chapter 18, it just uh, went together. And for the men who appeared to Abraham, a lot happened in this chapter, but we're going to paraphrase, right? I'm sorry, I went ahead of myself, so this is where I'm at. After Abraham gave these angels rest and something to eat, they ministered to his household before leaving. I already said, he told them, by this time next year, you will have a child. Name him Isaac. And I'm sure by that time, Sarah was probably 91. And now skipping down to verse 20 through 33, the angels now tell Abraham about the destruction that is coming to Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness that was dwelling there. And what does Abraham do? He begins to plead for Sodom. And he tells, he tells the Lord, because it says that the angels departed, but the Lord stayed with him. And he begins to plead for the righteous people that are still living there. And we know the story. He asked the Lord, if you find 50 that are righteous living in Sodom, will you still destroy it? And the Lord answered, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city. And Abraham continued his conversation, asking the Lord if there were 45 people, if there were 30 people. Then he went down to 20. He stopped counting by fives. He went to to, uh, 30 to 20 to 10. And And the Lord said and answered the same. I will not destroy it for their sake. So we see in our lives today how God deals with us and speaks to us. And he leads us if we let him. He is still speaking. Amen. He is still calling us to righteousness. He's talking about righteous people in Sodom. Right? So he's, he's still calling us to righteousness. And so this made me stop to look up what makes us righteous. Looked in the dictionary. Looked online. Righteousness can be defined as morally acceptable behavior. Those who are righteous are acceptable to God as made possible by God. Also, righteousness conveys a sense of divine holiness. And we know that God is the standard of righteousness. Amen? Because we, we can't be righteous on our own. We already know what the word says about our righteousness. It smells. It stinks. It's no good. So if we say we're righteous and living like any old thing, then no, no, no. We're not representing righteousness at that moment. Amen? So we're called to pursue righteousness. We want to live right. Righteousness means living right. So I'm looking this out and I say, okay. Well, sometimes you kind of think I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I believe that I should have answered that way, but I answered this way because I want to be right before God's eyes. So we are all called to live for righteousness. And so how amazing that Lot was all these things in God's eyes worth enough to save from the destruction of Sodom. I thought that was really, really deep. That was amazing. And so now we go to chapter 19, verse 1. The angels arrived to the city of Sodom, and the Bible said Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them, just like Abraham. Just like when Abraham saw them, he stood up, met them, fed them, brought, you know, brought them to his house. It's amazing that they just happened to be there. So I'm like, okay, God, this is God in a plan. We might not see it, but there is a plan. Amen? 
So Lot invited the angels to his home, prepared a feast for them. I wonder if he did or whoever he had working for him in the house prepared the feast. But it said Lot prepared the feast hmm. for them, complete with fresh bread, and they ate. So Deacon Honey. When we get home today, I need you to prepare me a feast, including fresh bread and hold the yeast because they say they have fresh bread with no yeast. So hold the yeast. And as a matter of fact, I think you should leave now because it's going to take you this long to prepare it, okay? Anyway, I thought that was amazing. I thought that was, Lot prepared the feast. I thought that was amazing. I thought I should make a point of that. Amen. And we go down to verse 12. The two angels asked Lot, because time was quick. Time was getting short. They were not there to play around. They were there to do what God had commanded them to do. The two angels asked Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belong to you. Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So there was urgency. There was urgency here. And Lot did just that. He warned his family and told them to get out of the city because God was going to destroy it. But they didn't take him seriously. And I'm sure today we have loved ones and family members who we talk to and share with in time of trouble, but they choose their own way. They'll call you for a moment, I need prayer for this, and after that, they're back to their own ways. And we know the pain that that causes us. And so for us today, how many times does God warn us about things we're doing, we must run from? It's, it's, it's not going to be destruction. It's not going to be fire from the sky. But the Lord is warning us about things that we're doing that we know we should be running from. And how many times does the Holy Spirit change our direction when we're going the wrong way and we look back and go the way we want to? Remember Lot's wife. Everyone say that. Remember Lot's wife. The chapter goes on to say that at dawn the next day the angels hurried Lot and his family out of Sodom so they would not be destroyed with the city. And Lot hesitated. And that to me, that, that made me stop straight in my tracks. I say he hesitated. I mean, he's got angels of the Lord in his house waiting to take them out of the city. And he hesitated. And I want, it doesn't say why he did, but he did. And that blew my mind. He actually hesitated, and it doesn't say why, but the angels grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and let them safely out of the city. And the word says that the Lord was merciful to them. Every day, God's mercy and grace is still great to us. Amen? His grace and mercy is still working. He's still grabbing us and pulling us out of things that we know we shouldn't. He's still doing that today. Amen. And so as soon as the angels brought them out, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere. 
But I wonder if Lot's wife didn't run as fast as the angel had commanded. The Bible does say that they were running and she was behind him. So I wonder if she was lagging behind because she couldn't get this in her head. She, like most women, might have said, Lot, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Are you sure that we're supposed to be out of here? Because, you know, it was a wealthy city. I'm sure they were living very well, very comfortably. And, and I'm sure she didn't want to leave her home, her things, her life, her friends, and all that she loved in Sodom. Lot's wife and the lives of her loved ones were being spared from the destruction that was coming. However, we see that her love for Sodom was more important. And in disobedience to the command of the angels not to look back, we know she did. And she became a pillar of salt. Now, we know God could have just made her disappear. We don't know. Nobody knows why he made her into a pillar of salt. God never to be seen again. Instead, he chose to turn her into a pillar of salt, perhaps to leave a lesson behind for us. For us to leave a lesson behind uh, uh, as an example of when we're disobedient to God. He will never turn us into a pillar of salt today. But when we look back, what happens, there's a standstill. There's a, there's like, I wonder why I, I don't feel like I did yesterday. God, I'm, I'm praying, but I don't feel you. Somehow when we look back, his presence lifts a little bit. Lifts just to let you know, hey, you're going the wrong way and I'm not there. Yeah. Pastor D, I'll never forget that. I'm not there. I've moved on. And where are you? You're too busy looking back. Lot's wife lost her life because she looked back. And it's that simple. It would seem to me that this was more than just a glance over the shoulder. It was a look of longing that indicated unwillingness to leave or desire or, or a desire to return to whatever she left behind. Whatever the case, the point is she was called to leave everything to save her life. But she could not let go. And she paid for it with her life. And so we know that that is where her heart was at. It's all about the heart. We move and we sing and we do. If our heart is well, things are well. Sometimes our mind is not well, but if our heart is well, it guides us. It directs us. We can hear God in a, if we're in a place like that. And so applying that to our lives today, nothing good waits for us if we keep looking back to those things that were. And let me say that sometimes the church as a whole, not, I'm not talking about just us. We sit in the church here and we actually can look like a pillar of salt. We can look like that. We sit there, the spirit is moving, the songs are going, people are praising, and you're like, bless me if you can. They're just not going to move. And they may have a legitimate reason for being still. There's stuff that's going on. There's stuff that's happening. There's stuff that doesn't let them move. Nevertheless, when the spirit of the Lord is here, it is our opportunity. It is our time to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I don't want to leave the same way I came in. That is our opportunity. And I hear pastor's heart 
when we sing a song, believe for it. No, no, it don't look like you're believing for it. So I don't know what he's seeing, but sometimes we can be here and we sit and we become as pillars of salt, like unmovable, like move the, uh, the immovable, and, and we become that. And we become that, and, and why? When there is liberty in the house of God, when all that we need is right here in the house of God. So you got up, put some makeup on, you got some nice clothes on, and you made it to church, you might as well just come and praise the Lord. You might as well just decide in your heart to say, all right, I'm here. I'm here, so God, for you I'm going to live today, and I'm going to do what I got to do to get your presence in my life. Amen? Hallelujah. I am almost done. I'm so happy. God still wants us today, amen, as he did in the days of old. And the Holy Spirit still tells us to run when we're supposed to be running and not giving in to the sins that keep us away from him. So we are challenged today. I challenge you today. Once you come to the Lord, once you say, God, for you I'm going to live, for you I'm going to die, we make a commitment. And so I'm going to ask, does our commitment make us look back or does it motivate us to move forward? We are always being called to repentance. Every time we move forward, we have to do something. Say, God, I, 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 didn't, I missed the mark yesterday. I missed the mark three hours ago. But God, I need to move forward. And so we're always being called to repentance. We're always saying, God, forgive me for doing what I just did. Lord, I, I got to see you. I want to see you. I want to please you. I, I don't want to make you unhappy with me. And every time we sin, that is what we do. And so I believe Jesus Christ for many of us, for all of us, when we know that we're not in a right place and we need him, we repent. And God hears us and he restores. He is in the business of restoring, and I love that. He will restore us to ourselves. Amen? Don't allow your heart to become hardened because of disobedience. We already see and we already saw what, that, what happened to, to Lot's wife. We remember her and I said, God, I don't want to be that. Although that's symbolic, it really happened, but it's symbolic for us today. Don't allow your heart to become hard because of disobedience. Amen? Just don't look back. Amen? God bless you.